scripture lesson today comes from the Gospel of John, chapter 17. And we come to this final prayer of Jesus. Uh, I want you to listen really carefully about what's most important to Jesus and what he asked for in his prayer. Let's share in God's good word together. I ask not only on behalf of these, but also on behalf of those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, as you, Father, are in me, and I am in you, may they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. You may be seated. Jesus says, I want you to be one. And not just this church and not just the churches in Oklahoma City and not just the United Methodist Church and not just the Protestant Church. When Jesus talks about the church and all who will believe after him, he means everybody across all time, all places. If you are a person who says you follow Jesus then you follow Jesus along with everyone else who also says they follow Jesus. And it is in the way we treat one another that an unbelieving world will look at Christ's body and say, I want to be a part of that, or I'm not touching that. That's what Jesus says. That's how it works. People will look at us, as has been done millennia before, and the witness of the church you know, you might think it's our mission work, and there's some truth in that, but the, really the bottom line is it's about unity. Do we look like Jesus in the way we care for one another? We are in a, a finishing up a sermon series called It's Just Not True, Simple Sayings That Are Simply Untrue. And we talked about a number of those over the last four weeks. I recommend those to you. Uh, things like, you know, God won't ever give you more than you can handle. Well, uh, I've certainly had more than I could handle this week. Right? Maybe you have too from time to time. So as a way of introduction, um, I, I want to say I, I basically preached uh, around this topic of human sexuality and church and church divisions uh, four years ago. So for our guests who are first time or just a part of our church, know that because of that we're in the paper every other day uh, as a denomination, I felt like we needed to address this here. I also want you to know it may be four years before I get back to it again. So this is not a place that we hang out. Uh, we do look specifically at the words of Jesus each and every week and, and how that informs our life. That we, we do. Uh, but as a way of introduction, uh, and, and I think I've been really clear about this around here, the most important thing to Jesus is his followers' what? Unity. Now, that's not uniformity, right? We don't have to look the same. We don't dress the same. We don't have a dress code here. Actually, we do. In the early days, because people say, well, what do we wear? Because we were meeting in a school, and we would say, well, you can wear whatever you want unless it puts a pregnant woman into labor. Don't wear that. <laughs> We've always been a young church with lots of young, young kids, right? We, we don't dress for shock factor. We dress as we are to worship a loving God. And so in John 17, Jesus is praying. Our Lord, our Master, our Savior, he was praying. He says, I'm praying not only for them, the disciples, but also for those who will believe in me because of them and their witness. That's really what we're talking about, friends. It's our witness. What kind of witness will we be in the world? I hope it's winsome. Their witness about me. The goal is for, say with me, all of them to become one heart, one mind. Just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, so they might be one in heart and mind with us. 
That's Jesus' prayer. Then the world might believe. Because if that's not the case, the world is not going to believe. And nobody wants to own that. That bad Christian behavior makes people not believe the good news of Jesus. And so my goal here, and I've, you've heard me say this, it, it sounds hyperbolic, but I, I really do mean this. I'd rather Acts 2 not exist at all than to be mean-spirited. I'd rather it just not exist than for us to be a part of harming people or excluding people. Or doing terrible things in Jesus' name. I mean, I'd rather us just not even be here. I didn't give my life to that. You, you wouldn't want to be a part of that. What, what we want to be is a place where the world knows this is a safe place for them to come. Where they'll be loved and accepted. And hopefully, by God's grace, transformed into a people of unity. And so Jesus says, the, the world's going to actually believe that you send me when they come and experience heaven on earth. When they witness among the believers. Peace, love, joy, all the good things that Paul writes about in Galatians. The fruits of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit. So they'll be unified and together as we are, Jesus says. That's, that's what we're looking for. I and them and you and me. And then they'll be mature in, ones, in this oneness. And, and, I, would, and I, I know that... Let me back up. In this sermon, everybody's got a lens. At one point, everybody who comes here thinks... Well, yeah, we, we probably agree on that the same. And then somewhere through this sermon, you'll find out that we don't agree exactly on whatever it is you think and I think because we're not the same person. It's okay. It's okay. But I know that can be shocking to people sort of as we, as we go along. So what happens is when we become mature, we can let go of uniformity. And we can move towards unity and love. Because we need to give the world evidence, real evidence, that the Father sent the Son to save the world and loves the world, doesn't hate the world, loves the world, right? And so as, as we come to this, let's just own it up front. While disagreement in a worldwide church, it's unavoidable, division is a choice. It just is. We disagree all the time. We, we just do. And now I know in some ways you could say it gets harder in a throwaway culture where, you know, oh, one of the reasons I love Costco it's because you can take anything back, right? And then you bring it back, and, they're, and I'm used to, you know, getting the, the third degree, like, well, why, why is this not working? Is it I, I just don't like it. And they're like, okay. I'm like, I love that place. <laughs> but that's not the way relationships are meant to work. You know, it's, it's not I just didn't like it, and so I'm, I'm doing something new. That's not the way we're made. It's great with off cookies, but not good with relationships, Right? So in um, Paul's writing to the early church, he, he knows that this is going to be a part of living together. You've got to learn how to live together. So he says this, do everything, really everything. How? Say it with, read it with me. Everything without grumbling or arguing. How are you doing with that one? Have, have you made it so far today? Well, why, why does he say this? Well, so that you may become blameless and pure. Children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Yeah, you got lots of stuff working against you. He owns that. But then, when we actually do this, we become like stars in the sky that shine brightly. And the people of earth look and go, wow, that's beautiful. I've never seen that before. And it changes the world. You see, the supernatural ability 
for enemies to work together? And not only work together, but to work together joyfully? I think, just real pointedly, that that was the power of the early church. You look at these lists in the book of Acts chapter 2 about all these people that came together. If you study that list closely, you will find that many of them had been at war with each other within the last hundred years. These are people who hated each other. They weren't just, you know, a different HOA. These were different people groups. And it was their ability to come together and to worship together and to share bread together and to care for one another that changed an unbelieving world. And I think part of our struggle in in these conversations about when people disagree with us is that we have a wrong notion of what the goal is. The goal of the Christian life is to become siblings with every other Christian, to treat each other in love, to love one another as I've loved you. That's what Jesus asked of us. And so I think where we miss this is that we live in a world from our time our kids were tiny uh, to the time they're old is that we don't want them just to get along. We want them to win. Any of y'all remember like first year soccer and our sweet little ones, they go out on the field and they're like, no, you kick it. No, you kick it. No, you kick it. And you've got parents on the sideline yelling, get the ball, get it away from them, push them down. And the kids are looking at us like, you spanked me for that like an hour ago. But now it's okay. They have these really weird messages. And so we get this idea from the time where we little that we're supposed to beat people, not get along with them. I mean, get along with them if you can then beat them, if it helps you beat them. And I'm not all that wrong about that. Right? And we have to look at that. Because Dr. King was onto something when he says, our role, if you want, if you want change, you have to seek nonviolence, which means you seek justice and reconciliation, not victory. And, that, and that's an idol we're just going to have to flat lay down if we want to get better at this. Because the problem is most of us are not willing to do this part because we do want victory. I mean, we're just going to have to check our hearts on this and say, would we rather be in relationship or would we rather win? Because I think it's very possible that you cannot have both. Right? So you also have to refrain from violence a fist, tongue, or heart. And most of us around here have, you know, fixed the fist part. But I'm off Facebook because I've never seen anybody get on top of that. I just couldn't take it anymore. I mean, I was on Facebook for a decade, and then I just, I kept seeing people that I really loved and knew, and I was like, man, that is violent. They're doing violence. This friend to that friend. I was like, I just, I just can't be a part of it anymore. Now, I love you people, and I'm sorry that I miss all your first day of school pictures now. Send them to me in hard copy. I dare you. I'd love to see it. There used to be these things called photos. Anyway, right? So here's the thing. In God's kingdom, there is no them in God's kingdom. It's just not. When you get to heaven, it's only we. It's only we. And there's only one table. Hey, this is good news for you on the front row. There's no kids' table in heaven. Just one table. Just one table. And Paul writes about this to the early church in Corinth. He says, as it is, there are many members, but one body. I can't say to the hand, I don't need you. Or again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. God so arranged the body, all of us, giving greater honor to the inferior members, that there may be, say it with me, 
no dissension within the body. Doesn't matter whether you're listening to Jesus, listen to Paul, message is the same. The members may have the same care for one another. That's what we're supposed to be doing. If one member suffers, we get forgotten this, all suffer together with it. And if one member is honored, all rejoice together with it. Now, when Paul writes to the church, every single you is y'all. It's never singular, friends. Not once. It's always plural when Paul writes this way. Now, I'm going to share a quote from somebody who I think understands the Methodist church about as good as anybody, and he's Baptist. Um, if you haven't seen Andy Stanley, I, I really appreciate him, partly because we're preacher's kids together. His father passed away uh, right around the same time my dad passed away this spring. And um, I, he just knows his stuff. He's been in church life all his life, as I have been. Um, and he's got some wisdom to share. And this is one of my favorite quotes of his. He says, when it is more important to us, say it with me, to have our way than follow Jesus, then we have lost our way and our credibility. Right? People see through us pretty quickly. Right? It's not like, oh. No, they, they get it. Now, part of the reason this is so important to me is that in 19... How many of you all were United Methodist in 1999 in the room? Some of you are like, I, were, I wasn't born. Okay. <laughs> so if you were in the Oklahoma, the state of Oklahoma in 1999, you actually helped start our church. There were more than 400 um, United Methodist churches, about 450 at the time, I think. Uh, they voted together to start a new church. Three of them, actually. Uh, one in Norman, one in Edmond, and one in Tulsa. And they pooled their resources. Little bitty churches with seven members in attendance would give money so that we could buy land here, so that they could pay a salary for me, so that we had some program money. And they all decided that they thought, because there, were, uh, there was not a United Methodist Church uh, north of the Broadway um, and west, uh, north of, of Edmond Road and west of the Broadway, and they had, saw all these people like you moving here, they thought, well, we should... That would be good for the kingdom. And so they called Chantel and I up, and they said, we want you to go. And we're like, where? And they're like, up there. <laughs> you, know, you know, where Life Church is taking all our people. They weren't exactly wrong. And I was like, oh, okay, well, you know, we'll check it out. And we drove to Danforth and Santa Fe to the 7-Eleven. Because that was the only standing building there at the time. No Walmart, no nothing else. Just a 7-Eleven. And we asked them, where's Deer Creek? And they go, we don't know. <laughs> so we just kept driving around. And today, right, we come together to praise God. That's always first in worship. But to also honor the faith and family that created us. That's just what Christians do. To say thank you to mom, thank you to dad, thank you to uncles, thank you to grandma and grandpa. Thank you for the life that you have given us. Thank you for the family faith that made us. That's just the right thing to do. Amen? I mean, we wouldn't exist without the United Methodist Church. And here's a shocker, neither would any other. Neither would any other. There's not a single United Methodist Church anywhere in the world that just woke up and said, I'm a United Methodist Church. There's a bishop, there's a district superintendent, there's a church board of location and building, there's a group of people that, that vet whoever the pastor's going to be to make sure that they don't take them off page. 
There are still plenty of terrible things that happen with people in churches who are unregulated. I was a little boy when the Guyana tragedy happened. If you don't know it, look it up. Those things happen when nobody's in charge. It's dangerous. We're not like that. We have a method. We've got lots of rules. Sometimes we love them, and sometimes we really struggle to say that we love them because there's so many. And here's the thing I want you to know, and it's super important that you know this, that different viewpoints are welcome here. You are welcome here. And I want to make really clear that if you are um, more conservative, I consider myself a centrist, and then we reach to the left and the right, we consider ourselves a purple church, right? We're not a red church, we're not a blue church. We're purple church, everybody's welcome. And, and the thing is, right, that when we, if we're not, if we don't include everybody, then we're not church, we're something else. And Dietrich Bonhoeffer knew this in, in a time not unsimilar to ours, where he was really being pushed by political power. And this is what he wrote, uh, one of the, the latest uh, Christian martyrs uh, during World War II. Bonhoeffer wrote, Judging others makes us blind, whereas love is illuminating. By judging others, we blind ourselves to our own evil and to the grace with which others are just entitled to as we are. Haven't you ever been in that conversation where you're really judging others hard, and as you do that, it feels so good because you have zero awareness of your own faults? Because it's all focused over there. There's no real soul-searching in judgment at all. And so our core value here of welcoming all, I'm going to say this really clearly, it includes more conservative viewpoints than you might hear from here. It does. It just does, as well as more liberal ones. And that's why I love Disciple Bible Study so much that it, we're going to start that here September 6th. And, and, and for 24 weeks, we get people from all different viewpoints, and we come. And you know what happens when people with different viewpoints actually read the Bible together? They learn. Often things they've never heard before. Right? And it's, it's amazing. It's illuminating. And so here, our core value of welcoming all, it supersedes any opinion on any social issue. We're not based on a social issue. We're based on the cross. We do what he says. And in this particular conversation, it sure would be helpful if he'd say something. He just didn't. You'll not find a single word in Scripture from Jesus around same-sex attraction, same-sex love, homosexuality, any of it. It's just not there. And, and you need to know from me that I intend, you heard this if you join the church, we're going to follow Jesus. And we're going to do what he says to do, and we're not going to do the stuff that he says not to do. And if he's silent about something, I'm really leery to try guessing. And there's some other people who have said some things around this issue, but you know what they also say? Don't listen to me, listen to Jesus. Which makes this really hard, because Jesus didn't say anything. Other than love one another, as I've loved you sacrificially and then and you know it, it would it would be amazing to you i know this that actually jesus and john wesley and paul they're actually all aligned our founder john wesley john wesley says it like this in the 1700s we should be rigorous in judging ourselves which no one wants to do and gracious in judging others which again we're kind of like eh. like we want to flip it don't we and that's why wesley goes that doesn't work Nobody grows like that. So, there's a number of groups of people here. 
Let me be super clear. If you're a traditionalist, you are welcome and you are valued. You've been here with me a long, long time. We read the Apostles' Creed every week. We believe it. Well, so for those of you who come on time, we read the Apostles' Creed every week. <laughs> we really do. Happens early in the service. Right? So, you should know that we uphold our, our ordination vows as clergy. We don't violate those. And we expect you to hold up your membership vows. And you hear those regularly, too. Every time somebody joins the church, they say what those are. And those of you who hold membership, you recommit those. We take that seriously. I also appreciate your commitment to the historic doctrines of the faith. You're, you're not in my office trying to get me to disagree with, you know, Pickett, Augustine, or um, Irenaeus, or any of the church fathers. I mean, we were, all, we're on page there. And I appreciate that. It gives us a place to land. At the same time, we have people way over on the other end uh, that would consider themselves progressives. And if you're progressive, I want you to know you are valued, you are welcomed, you are loved here, and you are safe here. You're safe here. There's no nonsense, no name-calling in either direction. This is a place that is sanctuary. That's why we call it sanctuary. Right? You're safe here. And if I ever catch any of you all being mean to each other, it is going to be on. It just is. The world has to have a safe place. We just do. We just, we just do. And we, and we don't hold grudges, and we don't talk bad about people behind their backs. You know, we, we just don't do any of that. And if we do, you're going to get a phone call from me. I'm going to knock on your door and be like, we don't do that, remember? And they're like, well, I didn't do it. I was, well, they say you did. And here they are. Step in. And it's going to be at your house, by the way. Right? I mean, we, you just got to take care of it. Same day. No, you can't let any of that division fester. And, and to the progressives in particular, I really I want you to know I appreciate your commitment to making sure that everyone is included. Everyone. And I know it's heartbreaking to many of you um, on the left uh, because there are still things that people that we love aren't yet allowed to do in our system. I'll talk more about that in a second. And I thank you for your patience around that because not everybody's being patient. There are people to the far left that have left the church because they've grown impatient. There are people on the far right that have left the church because... They've grown impatient. They may say that differently. That's just how I see it. And as a centrist myself, I really appreciate your willingness to reach out and hold loved ones that you love dearly who are far from one another. They really are very far from one another. And there's a real tension there. It's not easy work to love people on either end. It stretches you. It's hard work. But it's important work. And... Speaking for myself, I'm so tired of people telling me I don't know what I believe because I'm in a center. I know what I believe. I believe you're a jerk for saying that. (laughs) I'm not modeling it well. I'll own it. But you get, I mean, I'm not dogging the left. I'm not dogging the right. They don't need to be dogging me for trying to hold people, trying to hold a family together. Come on. And then we have people who are like, what is he talking about? I'm Baptist. Like, I, I don't know. I appreciate your patience and your traditions. Um, I've had, oftentimes we'll have Catholic families that marry Baptist families, and it works until they have kids. And then they've got to decide what to do with the kid. When are they going to get them baptized? Because great-grandma Catholic wants them baptized an hour later you know, in the hospital. Uh, and the other Baptist grandma uh, wants them to go to Falls Creek 16 years later and, and get in the pond. 
And those are both very valid. They are. And so I just sit them down. I'm like, look, it all works. And there's good reason for both. Your traditions have reasons for both. And you can do any of that here. We will honor the traditions that you have. The only thing we don't do is do whatever you want over and over and over again. Like you don't get to you know, be baptized at the hospital and then here and then False Creek. We don't rebaptize because God gets it right the first time. And there's nothing you can ch- do to change that. And so we do have some limits around baptism. But if there's any way that we can come alongside you in your tradition, we do. We absolutely do. We want you to know we're glad you're here. Now, <clears throat> some of you, you don't know why this is in the paper all the time. You don't know why I'm preaching about this. Because uh, I only have you know, roughly 30 minutes uh, once a week. But here's, here's the book on me, uh, very quickly. That's me, my dad, mom, my older sister, Deb. Um, when I was born in Ringling, Oklahoma, uh, in the parsonage. So you, you need to understand that every room I lived in until the time uh, I went to college was United Methodist property. We didn't own it. Somebody else held that in trust for me. Somebody provided a place for me to live. Somebody fed me. Somebody took care of me my entire growing up life. And it wasn't mom and dad exclusively. It was a people called United Methodist. That's my family. And it's being ripped apart as if it's not a big deal. It's a big deal to me. And I understand that most of you can't understand that. Probably only one or two other people in the entire people I'm talking to today know what that feels like. But that really is my story. And people new to the faith, I really appreciate how you trust in us to help you follow Jesus. Because you've you've got plenty of choices of who to do that with. I'm really glad that the Spirit led you here. And, And I'm so glad that you're here. So let me get to some of the direct things that have been said lately. It's been said that the United Methodist Church is no longer a big tent where diverse viewpoints can live out their faith. Friends, that's just not true. We've been able to work things out for 50 years since we were founded in 68 as United Methodists. And we could still do it. The, the discipline hadn't changed. The articles of religion hasn't changed. I think the only thing that's changed is people's patience. And a clause that we'll get to uh, at the bottom of 2553 that allows, uh, that I think is just way too broad. So here's, here's the thing about us. We welcome all. We've always welcomed all. We're going to always welcome all. That's it, period. Doc. Can I have an amen on that? That's just who we are. That's who we are. So if you're here, you're from a different tradition, you're from a different Methodist church, you wonder if we're going to be United Methodist, yes, uh, is my whatever. Welcome. Service dog welcome. Yes. I mean, we have, if somebody's trying to follow Jesus, yes. And if you need special accommodations to get here, yes. Yes. The answer is yes. doesn't matter. And it doesn't matter what category you say is, is this sort of person or this sort of situation welcome. The answer is yes. The only answer that is no, is you don't get to be mean here. You don't get to be ugly. You don't get to be divisive. The early church is chock full of warnings against enmity, strife, divisions, hard-heartedness, unforgiveness. None of that is welcome here. And so if you're willing to check that at the door, come on. My friend, Jean Marie, uh, she says it like this. This is so important because we are all leaky vessels. We just are. Our life leaks out. The attitudes of our hearts, she says, conversations in our minds, they tend to leak out into the ways we treat each other. So, you know, make sure you know what you're doing with your mind. The choices we make, the legacy we leave. So it's important that we just, the ground rule is you have to come here and love one another. That's the deal. So number two is, this is ridiculous to me, 
People have been saying, partly because we're on a deadline about disaffiliation that ends this year, they say, if you don't disaffiliate, you're going to get a gay pastor. And it's going to happen like immediately, or certainly after General Conference 2024. Friends, that's not true. It's just not true. Um, and, I, and let me just put it this way. I mean, let's think this through. I don't know a lot of gay pastors, but the ones I do know don't want to move the panhandle. Or southeast Oklahoma. You know, they're, they're not like, ooh, Alta sounds fun in the summer. No. They're not coming. Right? I mean, just, that's just ridiculous. Right? It's just ridiculous. That's, there's no way that I can see that happening. It's, it's just a fear tactic. That's not true. Primarily because the book of discipline has not changed. It still prohibits. Uh, basically, gay weddings... And gay clergy. Now, there are a lot of folks working to change that. Right? And, and there's language in the discipline that I wish wasn't there because it's been so divisive and caused lots of problems. But currently, just so that you know the facts of it, it reads that self-avowed practicing homosexuals are not to be accepted as candidates, ordained as ministers, or appointed to serve in the United Methodist Church. And that's why I say thank you for your patience. Because we have LGBTQ folks that are wonderful parts of our family. And I can't imagine showing up here each and every week being faithful, serving, giving, sharing, and knowing that there's limits on what I can do. My church doesn't act that way, but I still know that's back there. And so for every person that comes anyway, thank you. I mean, that's a high honor to us. I don't, I don't know that I would be so gracious if I were in your spot. I would probably look for a place that fully welcomed me, not just 90% welcomed me or whatever that might be. The third thing, we get this all the time. They say, well, when, when, when's your church going to vote? We're not going to vote. You don't have to vote. They're like, well, our pastor told you that we did. Well, that's just not true. The disaffiliation document actually says this, right? When it comes to a local church over issues related to human sexuality, because of the current deep conflict, which is true in our church, Around issues of sexuality, a local church shall have a limited right under the provision of the paragraph to disaffiliate from the denomination for reasons of conscience regarding a change in the requirements and provisions of the Book of Discipline. You go on. And this is, this is where the problem is, friends, because that largely has not happened. What has happened is this line that got added, and man, has it been a problem, or the actions or inactions of its annual conference related to these issues. Well, what does that not include? Right? So for 50 years, we've all received our things in trust and acted accordingly. A few years ago, that got added in and says, oh, and by the way, if you don't like something that your conference has done or not done, you can leave. And they are. And by the way, you've got to get out now because it ends at the end of the year. And I just want you to know, particularly in this service right now, that Chantel and I, and, and our staff have good, close, personal friends that work in the conference office, and they are awesome. They're working their butts off. They're doing their job, and they're getting slayed for it. Vilified in the papers, nasty phone calls, terrible meetings for doing their job. Just doing their job. Trying to be like Jesus. And I, I mean, honor and grace to everybody in the conference office. I mean, really. 
They're just amazing people. Now, did they do their job perfectly? No, of course not. But I've, I grew up growing that you don't kick people when they're down or having a hard time, right? So, I mean, pray for, pray for everybody in the conference. Pray for the bishop, uh, pray for the conference director, all, everybody, our district superintendent. Now, uh, Bishop Bickerton says it like this. He says, our provision that allows for disaffiliation is based on a church reaching the conviction that they can't stay a part of the denomination over matters of human sexuality. What we find, though, is that people are using that paragraph to disaffiliate for other reasons. Like $30 million. I mean, really. And, and I don't like to talk about it, haven't talked about it, because it's ugly. And, I, and that, we're not going to hang out there. But here's the thing. You don't have to agree with me to love me. And I have to agree with you to love you. Do you? Do you agree with your three-year-old? You've got to keep loving them. And if we're followers of Jesus, we're required to love one another when we disagree. That's what he says. John 13, he says, I give you a new commandment, that you love one another. What are we supposed to do? Yeah, this isn't hard. It's really not. Just as I've loved you, you should also love one another. By this, again, say it with me, everyone will know that you're my disciples. If. If. If you have love for one another. And if you don't, they're not going to believe you. Number four, the United Methodist Church no longer believes in the divinity of Jesus or the resurrection. Come on. Again, scare tactics, just not true. Our articles of religion have not changed. They're super hard to change. It's three-quarter vote. Never happened. I don't, I don't see that it's ever going to happen. So if you want to know word for word what it says, that's in Article 3 on the resurrection of Christ. Christ did truly rise again from the dead and took again his body with all things appertaining to the perfection of man's nature, wherewith he ascended into heaven and there sitteth until he returned to judge all men at the last day. Does this sound like this was written last week? No, it's got the ifs. It's been around. It's not changing. Hasn't changed. And it is actually, to me personally, it's infuriating that we would have people take shots at professors who are no longer living for doing their job in the classroom. And people taking shots at one clergy person out of hundreds of thousands and saying that that's, that's now who we all believe. Do any of you all live in a family where one person was off page at Thanksgiving ever? <laughs> and then somebody writes up an article, oh, your, your family no longer believes this because one person of your large family said this. To me, it's, it's not just not true. It's misleading. So, number five. The United Methodist Church is in for a hard time in the future. Says who? Says who? Have you looked around here? We're doing fine. Now, I, if you follow our newsletter, I hope you'll sign up for it. Um, I was helped by this uh, graph uh, from Christianity Today. Christianity Today is no friend of the Methodists. It's an outside organization. Um, I would consider it a bit right. Of, um, of where centrists would be, and they just started listing it. Now, you'll notice that of these churches and the percentages, percentages are in yellow, there have been a lot of churches leave in northwest Texas and Texas, Alabama, North Carolina, Alabama. This is, this is where a lot of our friends live and where most of us go to vacation, right? So you, you see it, you hear about it. Central Texas, Fort Worth area, New Mexico, and then there's Oklahoma. So we're not at the top, but man, it sure feels big. Right? But here's the thing. There's a whole lot of other conferences out there. I know you can't read this, but you can, you can look it up. Um, 
All these down here, like, like not a single disaffiliation. There's more than 40 other conferences that have less affiliations than we do. Some not at all. And, and so, you know, here's, here's us. Uh, this says we've had 86 folks disaffiliate. The number depends on when you start the count. This goes all the way back to 2019. Um, but I just thought you might appreciate a, a little wider view than what you may have been reading or seeing or being told. Because when this all adds up, it's 6%, friends. The wheels aren't coming off of the United Methodist Church. Now, granted, this is of June. Those numbers will go up some. But I'd be really surprised if it hit double digits. So while all your friends are like, oh, you know, blah, blah, the sky's falling. I, friends, I've managed more than a 6% change in my budget every year. Haven't you? I mean, that, that's not life-ending. Difficult. And it's going to be higher here. It is. But we'll figure it out. We always do. The other thing I want you to know is uh, when we started in 99, we basically have looked, and you know this from the sermons I preach, we looked at Church of the Resurrection in Kansas City as a model. They started a number of years before us. The largest United Methodist Church in the world. Doing fine. And the other one, you hear me, just the, in this sermon series as well, Highland Park United Methodist Church in Dallas. Again, very strong church. Doing fine. Adam Hamilton and Paul Rasmussen, their, their churches are not hurting. Nor is Lover's Lane across town in Dallas, where Andy and Melissa Nelms, who used to be on our staff, were. Great churches. Um, and there's some other churches that are of equal size that I know, but I, I, I haven't talked to them this week, so I don't know exactly where they are in the process, if at all. But I just want you to know, there are plenty of really good, strong churches that align with us very well. I also want you to know that our children and youth ministries are growing. You know, some people have been worried about camp, and I know this will be weird for you because, you know, we needed to do our own camp because some other churches are disaffiliated. But here's the thing. Camp Spark at capacity. That, that's the camp that um, Courtney leads for us. She's the dean of it. Um, as full as it's ever been. And I also want you to know that folks under 18 on our campus, it's growing by 24% year to year. That is, that is a lot, uh, which means, again, plenty of people at camp again, right? It's not a problem. Uh, here at this church, uh, I'm told this is unheard of. Uh, I'll take it. I, basically, one out of three people that come to our church are under 18. I mean, that's, that's nuts. Yeah. So our future looks strong. doesn't look like we're going to die. And our worship attendance is growing. Our membership is growing. Uh, many of you all know that we've had more than 100 people join the church in the first half of the year, which is almost double our normal growth rate. And our average worship attendance last year was 420. It's 504. That's a 20% increase. Any of you all in business, would you take a 20% increase in what you're doing? Yeah, sure you would. That doesn't sound like desperate times. Right? And let me just say this. Um, I was in television before I was in um, you know, preaching. And when I was preaching, like I said, I've been mentored by what I think is the best of the best at Church of the Resurrection in the Highland Park when I was on staff there. But I'll tell you this, some of the best people... And thoughtful leaders I've ever met or met here in this church, regardless of where I've ever been. And i um, really fortunate to have Alan Herzberger uh, as my boss, as our SPR chair, for too, too many years than he would like to admit. Uh, I finally gave him a reprieve. And um, I just want you to hear what, what he said. Um, I was asking him for some help with this, and he wasn't expected to be quoted, but I did it anyway. So uh, I have his permission, but this is what he said. I want you to hear it from one of your own. Alan says, so when you hear a rumor that the United Methodist 
church members don't believe in the resurrection or that they don't believe Jesus was divine or that the church is too progressive and liberal or that the church is too conservative and traditional. That's not true. The United Methodist Church is all of us. It is a collection of people who believe in Jesus and want to learn how to be closer to Jesus and to bring heaven to earth and make the world a better place. The United Methodist Church is about making disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world. That's it. I don't believe in separating from this mission, even if I don't agree with everything that traditionalists or progressives in our denomination agree with. I believe in the mission. I believe in love. And I believe in Jesus Christ. And I'm proud to be a part of a congregation who embraces Jesus' example to love all. So if you want to know where our church is, where church is going to be, where our church leadership is, screenshot it. Because that's it. And it aligns perfectly with what the early church believed. Paul says that it's love that's patient. Love is kind. Love is not envious or boastful or arrogant or rude. Right? You know this if you've been to a wedding. It does not insist on its own way. Really, it doesn't. It's not irritable or resentful. It doesn't rejoice in wrongdoing. It rejoices in the truth. And the love that we're called to, it bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. And now, truly, today, we only see in a mirror. We don't know exactly what's going to happen, sure. But we will see face-to-face, Paul writes. Now I know only in part, then I'll know fully, even as I've been fully known. And now faith, hope, and love abide these three. Say it with me. And the greatest of these is love. Amen, it is. And we can hang our hats there, stay there. We'll be just fine. So your action step this week is I want you to remind yourself of what Jesus says is important. And John 13, to love one another, to work towards unity, and to truly consider what that requires of your heart and your tongue and your life. Because it's really simple, it's just not easy. But we can do it, and we'll do it together. Amen? Amen. Right, let's pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.